welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. And in this conversation, I'm going to be talking with Jonathan Gustin about soul's purpose. So I actually spoke with Jonathan maybe, I don't know, a year and a half ago on this topic. So we'll cover some of the same territory so that you're up to speed, those of you that didn't listen to that conversation. But then we're going to go into more deeply how we can actually uh, begin to uncover our soul's purpose. What are some of the technologies that we can use with our clients to help them tune into their mythopoetic identity and to begin to connect to their soul's deepest longing? So we'll spend a good portion of the conversation on that. We'll talk about what is soul's purpose, uh, how these are soul-making times, and the relationship between spirit or non-duality and soul, and also ideas like inherited purpose and created purpose, and then contrasting that with soul's purpose. So if you're somebody that is in that kind of mode of of like yeah I've, I've i've gotten everything in life and there's still something missing or just relying on my my mind as amazing as that is to navigate my way through life feels somewhat limited then i think you'll really enjoy this conversation we're going to talk about the realms beyond that and jonathan is the creator of the Purpose Guides Institute. He's a purpose guide, a psychotherapist, and a meditation teacher. And he uh, will talk about how he sees himself as a whole person midwife and what that means to him in this conversation. And uh, Jonathan is uh, trained with people like uh, Bill Plotkin and is a student of Adyashanti. So I want to just take a minute to tell you about Inside Coaching, which we are relaunching. And it's, well, imagine pulling up a chair inside the coaching room of a world-class coach and then being able to watch them work with a real client. That's what this program's all about. It's always been one of the most popular parts of our live trainings, these coaching demos. And so we decided to create a full training on it. So Inside Coaching is a it's a 12 week self-study program and you'll get to see all these different master coaches coaching people how do they do it what kind of questions do they ask what kind of moves are they making it's like you're apprenticing with these master coaches and the cool thing is is afterwards after each coaching session I do a debrief with them where I break down everything they did what were they seeing Uh, why were they asking certain questions so that you can really get inside their mind and absorb all that wisdom and experience that they've spent years cultivating. Uh, nothing's scripted. All the clients come with real issues. So just a few more things. What do you get by joining? You get 12 unedited coaching sessions, 12 debrief sessions, workbooks, transcripts, bonus videos, a member forum, and a discussion thread. Some of the coaches featured are Amanda Blake, Richard Strozzi Heckler, Thomas Hubel, Jennifer Garvey Berger, David Drake, Rick Hansen, Wendy Palmer, Jim Dethmer, and others. So registration is open from the 8th of June 2021 and it closes on the 17th of June. And if you want to find out more, you can head to coachesrising.com 
forward slash inside coaching trailer. You'll find a really cool trailer we made about the program there and you can just put your name in the sign up box to stay in the loop. Yeah, I just I'm I'm still sat with what we just talked about actually. You know, this uh you were reflecting on how you've been recently and I was sharing about um the times we're in and how I've been feeling this sense of uh shit. Like we're in a different era right now, you know, with the pandemic and everything that's at play and we, everybody knows that the forces at play out in the world, but um, it, it feels different for me now. Like, it, and I know we've many people have talked about, not, we're not going to go back to business as usual, but I think that's been dawning on me and that's, uh, that's heavy. That's the word you used. And so um, I'd like to, acknowledge that in our conversation today and we're going to talk about the work you do with the purpose guides institute and soul and i wonder for you how we might kind of um reflect on the times we're in and how uh, the relationship to soul in that you know that perhaps these are soul making times and what does that what does that mean you know like what how do we respond when the chips are down in a sense and so i wonder what you think about that as a just an opening statement yeah yeah beautiful well the the times are heavy um (laughs) and 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 not just filled with you know beauty and love um uh, but also tragedy and um it occurs to me that our work as coaches, as guides, um, if we take a deep time perspective, it really contextualizes what we're doing. It's not just about bringing an individual ego um, to a state where they are uh, thriving in their work, which is no small thing, or, or whatever the goal of the coaching or guiding is. Um, for some of us, and I and I don't mean to like say this as a a prescription for every coach and every guide. But speaking for myself, um, I think that evolutionary coaching or evolutionary guiding um, is a, it's a it's a planetary force. You know, there's epoch after epoch. Yesterday, I was watching a uh, a video. It was 20 minutes. It started at 200,000 years ago and went to I don't know. 2019 and it showed you the rise and fall of every city state and empire and i watched the whole thing daniel schmarkterberger who's a very smart man recommended it and i was like all right daniel and i sat there and i just gave it my full attention so you can go online um maybe i'll remember what it is and then you can put it in the thing and so but i'll just give the viewers an idea so you you just watch the entirety right of of human civilization and, and, you know, it's like the Mongol empire at one point, you know, and then three seconds later, and the Roman empire and the man, you know, on and on. And it just made me realize that um, yet again, our attachments to things like country, albeit well-intended and, and maybe very nourishing, these are fleeting. They're, they're absolutely fleeting. And so, to the extent that we care about the long game, and I'm going to presume the listeners on this podcast do, 
what what are we doing for ourselves today, tomorrow, but also seven generations from now? And so I think, you know, at my school, Purpose Guides Institute, you know, I realize there's so many tsunamis that are going to hit us, the next pandemic, global warming, um, all those stat, you know, piles of nuclear weapons um, and so forth. Uh, it, is there something I can sort of send forward into the future for my great, 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 great grandchildren? And I think what that can be is um, being one more voice in the choir committed to pointing out that we are potential hyper-positive, uber-positive um, evolutionary force. We really have the ability to midwife more goodness, truth, and beauty in the world. And not just a few geniuses, you know, the Bachs and the Mozarts. I mean, that we all could actually engage with our soul-level purpose and have that be the central driving force of our lives, thereby moving us from what I would call an inherited or default purpose, where it's just, you know, our middle world, everyday personality and ego happiness, which is still always of concern for all of us. It's not one or the other, transcend and include. So, um, so that's how, that's one of the ways I work with the tragic. I feel it. It gets me down. I haven't transcended it. I don't have some oceanic equanimity that, you know, I go doom scrolling and then go, oh, well, you know, it's all perfect. Um, I feel like in a way there's a football and I've, uh, or an American football, I guess, or baseball and I'm, and I'm throwing it and I won't see it land. I'll be dead in a few decades. I mean, maybe sooner. And, um, and maybe a couple hundred years from now, you know, someone will catch it. There'll be something left over from Purpose Guides Institute. And someone will find it and go, yeah, soul level purpose, soul level purpose. Oh, default purpose got us into trouble. So that's, that's what we coaches and guides can be part of beyond that, you know, our, our 21st century is we're, we're seeding the 22nd, 23rd and 24th century by doing this evolutionary work that we can actually grow up as a species. It, it does feel like that could be one of the, the benefits of these times that um, it's enough of a shock to wake us up out of our collective set of default purposes and that there is a, you know, a letting go, a grieving inside of that, but that it opens up to new possibilities. Um, uh, I want to ask you about some of these terms just before I forget, like I've, I've been listening to a podcast recently, fall of civilizations. It's really good. It's like an hour and a half long podcast. And each one is about a different civilization that, that, that rose and then fell. And it's quite, it's fascinating for one, it's really well done, but it's very sobering because each one of those civilizations didn't see it coming. That was the thing. They didn't see it coming. They, that, and it was out of their control, you know, and often there was an environmental uh, shift that changed the circumstances. But I recommend for people to, to check out things like this because um, it, it can really like wake us up out of the sense of business in, as usual. And I'll just make a couple of reflections before I ask you, because I think 
um, what's interesting for me now is this question in the coaching world is like, do we just coach people on business as usual? Or, you know, might the role of a coach be to be more provocative, to, to bring in uh, our children's, children's, children's voice into the coaching room in order to bring in a deeper perspective. And, and I think that um, in all the, these crises that we face and this complexity of the world, uh, it can be overwhelming, yeah? But like one of the things I've found solace in is like I can play my part. That's the only thing I can do really is, is I can, it's not like I have to solve everything, uh, but I can find my place in, in the web and, and, and play that part be part of the symphony, so to speak. So yeah, you might want to respond to any of that. And then I could also ask you, like, let's define some kind of key terms. We've done a conversation before, but perhaps let's get some people up to speed. Yeah. The first thing I want to say is just to, to, to beginning coaches, um, you know, don't, don't feel uh, too much added pressure by this whole evolutionary piece. It is really okay to start with the basics and just try to help one person flourish a little more and feel a little better. So in some ways, this is intermediate and advanced work when you feel ready for it. But e even if you're not really introducing it into the uh, coaching chambers, so to speak, it's, it's, it's wind in your sails. You can feel it supporting you. You can feel it behind your back that it's not just you're growing one little shaft of wheat, you know, in a, in a wasteland. You're one person tending another person, you know, lovingly. That's, that's significant. So it's not like I'll, I'll first just do this and then 10 years after I, I become a good coach, I'll, I'll, I'll start this. And having said that, um, what we've been doing so far, which is to take ourselves as limited in time and space, um, is beginning to get us into more and more trouble. So if we continue to do that, um, you know, environmentally, in psychiatrist's office, with law, with in every field, um, we're we're harming ourselves, and it's 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 it behooves us. It's on our shoulders in every profession to see that we are also stewards of the whole. And this, I think, goes probably at least as much, you know, for coaches as any other profession. And so to be whole and flourish isn't just for me to be whole and flourish. It is to be, uh, to live in a way that respects your freedom and your wholeness and live in a way that actually is a support to your freedom and wholeness. It's not enough for me to just be here in the San Francisco Bay area, feeling free and whole what's happening in syria what's happening in palestine israel what's happening um you know the muslims in china what's happening what's happening what's happening you know it's like it becomes more and more the ego begins to soften and dissolve some and you feel this more more love more responsibility and so part of our communication as teachers guides and coaches is that when we bear a great responsibility there's nothing more meaningful, deep, and heart opening. You know, everyone here who has either a cat, a dog, or a, or a child, <laughs> you know, or sibling they love or someone, you know, it knows this, right? 
my son is the biggest responsibility in my life. It's costly time, money, energy, and I, I gladly bear it. Not every second when, when he's having hysterics about his homework, but I don't, I don't love that so much, but mostly. And so what would it be, and this sounds crazy, but what would it be to take partial responsibility for the evolution of our species? Now, it sounds like it could crush you, and if you came from the ego, it would. <laughs> it would crush you instantly, but it's not. It's evolution itself in you. It's soul in you wanting to show up for itself. This is, this is why some of these masters we meet were like, how do they do that? <laughs> and the answer is, well, they don't. It's life itself coming through. And we coaches, we guides can have that experience. That, that's, uh, I think, a great place to ask you about some, you know, I'm going to kind of challenge you. And uh, yeah. I think we need to like define some of the key uh, ideas, you know, like what is soul? Uh, you said default purpose, but what is soul purpose? And this thing you just mentioned now about that we can actually, in some sense, become a, a vessel or, or you know, uh, have something come through us that's bigger than us. So, um, and because we'll, we've done that in the last conversation, but let's try and keep that condensed and then see where it takes us. But yeah, w what do you mean by soul and soul purpose? Yeah, see, it's eleven oh seven. I'll do it in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, one way I kind of introduce this is to say that there's a triple purpose of life: wake up, grow up, show up. My friend Dustin Deperna coined this: wake up to classical traditional enlightenment, that is to say the unbounded awareness uh, associated with the Buddha, let's say. Um, in the middle world, it's to grow up, grow up into what I've named an emotional adult. That's not easy, <laughs> not even remotely easy. Um, and then to show up with your soul's deepest purpose as a demonstration of love, as a gift of service, to life. So those are three purposes. Now the Buddha or Ramana Maharshi was a specialist, let's say, in the upper world. Very, very, very good at waking up. Were they emotional adults? I don't know. Uh, I would say maybe not. Uh, the Buddha apparently never came back uh, to the wife and family that he abandoned. So uh, you can have unequal development in, in different layers. As a whole person midwife, I'm actually interested in all three. Wholeness is my great passion. Um, so waking up, yes. Growing up into a mature emotional adult, yes. So then this third part is showing up. So there's the question, purpose for whom? Whose purpose? Well, there are egoic purposes, which are totally okay. By ego, I mean I don't mean like egoic, like a big ego. I mean like ego as it's a psychological, it, your psychological being, your psychological identity, right? I would like to get good sleep tonight. That's just for me. It's for nobody else. I'd like to have some good food, right? Uh, blah, blah, blah. So, um, but a purpose is for soul. And I think this is one of the things that will really help coaches make this, disambiguate this term. If it's purpose for egos, it's not soul level. It's not as deep as it could go, right? Where soul has its own purpose for you. Now, this can sound confrontive, but I believe it to be the case. 
we don't choose our purpose. It chooses us. So an analogy I sometimes use is uh, when I hit puberty, I didn't make a choice between bisexuality, homosexuality, and um, hetero heterosexuality. I discovered that in my case, I was attracted to females. And there it was. <laughs> Just, you know, had I thought about it and chose, I would have chosen bisexuality because of my options open. There are plenty of wonderful men out there. Um, that was a discovery, not a choice. It was innate in me. Now, the same thing with soul. I didn't choose to be a whole person midwife. It, there was a, a moment of illumination, of awakening, a soul encounter, if you will. I can tell the whole story later if you want, um, where I saw an image of, of me midwifing wholeness and the words came. And I was like, oh, that's, that's my soul image. That's my soul name. And now all I have to do is spend like 30 more years, you know, training to be adequate to that. Um, and so, you know, I was like 20 years old and the word midwife wasn't particularly, um, you know, it wasn't a word. I, I didn't want to catch babies. It wasn't, it wasn't like anything like that, but I was like, aha. And so it, there's a listening to a deeper level and it's different than your delivery vehicle right? Because on my business card, it says meditation teacher, um, psychotherapist, and purpose guide. These are delivery vehicles people recognize, maybe, you know, some of them. Um, but it tells you how I bring what I bring to my people, but it doesn't tell you what I bring, right? So there's lots of different psychotherapists. Many people have read a little Freud and a little Jung, well, it's pretty clear as psychiatrists go that they were bringing different things. They were both geniuses. <laughs> They're both passionate about their work. Uh, we're really glad they did what they did, but uh, there's a reason why they had a falling out <laughs> and, uh, and the arguments they did. They were bringing something different. So your delivery vehicle, in this case, coaching, does not tell you all that much. It tells you how you deliver what you deliver. But when you all meet you know, in this community, that you and your partner have convened at your school, it becomes quickly apparent that coach is just, it's like an ocean, just this vast, vast ocean. And now the question is within that delivery vehicle, what is truly mine to give away, right? This idea that there's a place you could say, what's my niche in the habitat of coaching? Right. Mm. And it's not just like my avatar, or, you know, da, 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 that the marketing business level, like what is really wanting to grow indigenously, organically from soul and flower. And then people who are my people will be attracted to it and I can work with them. I'm curious to know more about the way that this image of the midwife came to you. But let me preface that question with uh, this sense of, I know you talk about created purpose as well. And I think many people, I think that's probably how most listeners know of purpose in the world right now, you know, that, and it's a good thing I've heard you say, like, I, I agree. It's like it's this Keegan self-authored uh, idea that we, we, um, we can articulate, what do I stand for? What kind of life do I want to create? What am I about? What am I passionate about? But that, Beyond that, uh, I hear you speaking that this is 
what what does life have for me like what what does soul want with me in this lifetime and yeah. um I'm, I'm i'm kind of fascinated because it, it as we talk about this it seems to coincide with generally well i mean say generally that might be overstating it but there's at least um uh in, amongst a lot of people in the world now, a, a growing passion in um, non so so like expanding the bandwidth of where they live from, the rational mind, logical mind being a, an amazing thing, but that if we only live in that place, it's limited. And so, how might we begin to um, expand like where we live from and, and, and incorporate our embodiment and our hearts and imagination and soul. And um, so I'm curious, like how all that fits in, in this sense of, you know, uh, the, the embodying our, our, like the midwife for you, you know, like yeah. there's a kind of question in there. I think you can probably get a sense yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so two points. So one, um, in my work, as you know, I have sort of three levels, which is inherited default purpose, created purpose, and then soul level purpose. Well, inherited is, so I had the uh, really great fortune of um, being offered literally to inherit my father's business. He was a manufacturer of oven mitts, potholders, the covers that go on ironing boards and coffee filters. I mean, what luck! <laughs> what it's luck! Random set of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. household housewares is was his, his thing. Put me through college, and uh, he was going to train me. He offered me twenty five thousand dollars to sit at a desk, which was a lot back then, and just call, 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 uh, and um, and I said no. Um, I said no, no, thank you. I mean, I said, thanks and, and no. So, um, you know, I wouldn't have minded the money. I mean, I like it money as much as the next person, but I was like, nah. So that would have been a default purpose, right? Make a lot of money if, if, if I was lucky um, and so forth. Uh, have a family, be happy. Um, so not a bad thing if I had succeeded. A created purpose is you use your mind. You look, you look at the life that is default. You know, if you're the, the minister's daughter or son, you know, you're going to think, well, I need to, you know, evangelize or do whatever. If you're the son of a Marine, maybe you're supposed to go into the service. So creating is like, all right, well, I'm not going to do what I was told to do. So let me think about it. Okay, I'm going to go into politics i'm going to go into i'm going to be a kindergarten teacher i don't know you're you're somehow you maybe you go to um it's not quite the same as coaching what's that thing when you go to a, like a career counselor right so you're choosing well that's a that's a level up that's great you're using your mind but you're using it in an upgraded capacity you're not simply just taking what society or your family has given you but there's a whole nother level which is you discover what is true for you. It's a, it's a revelation. So now let's connect that to your second question, which is um, how does one come by that revelation? And this is where it gets sounding like new age and California and woo woo, but uh, what can I do? Um, ultimately, the thinking mind is one very powerful organ of perceptivity amongst many. 
So for instance, when I ask people to go on a soul walk, I interview people before they come to my school to do the purpose discovery program. And then I give them a second interview. And this is what I say. And, and anyone listening to this podcast can use this for any question they want. I say, go on a before I accept you to the program, go on a walk and ask soul this question. Would it be purposeful for me to join purpose discovery program? I said, first, think it through, do your due diligence, right? Read the website, think it through, but then on the walk, take an hour and open up these organs. Start with your skin, like listen with your whole body, the tingles, the hairs on the back of your neck. It's like, we, this stuff works. You, you feel it if you're in a dark alley at night or whatever, like there's things other than the thinking mind. You've all had this. Okay, second, your heart. Perception comes just through feeling in your heart. There's an emotional sensitivity when you're in the presence of another person or you're in the presence of considering a certain direction. How does it feel emotionally? Third, your gut. Well, everyone knows about this, your gut feeling. Apparently, I've been told there, there's this, almost as many sort of, uh, not brain cells, but some sort of receptor sites in your gut. It's like a second brain system. Third, fourth, wild nature. This is a big one. And one that is less and less accessible because people spend more and more time indoors, which is to go out in wild nature, breathe, respirate a little bit to remind yourself there's no, there's no discrete beginning and ending of wild nature in you. So that's just obvious at a level of physics, but then psychologically that it's, it's, Wild nature reflects your wild soul and wild soul reflects wild nature. There's a lot more I can say about that if you wish, but I'll, I'll just put a plug on it. And then fifth is imagination. And I don't mean fantasy, the way I'm gonna use the words. Fantasy would be like if I bought a lottery ticket and then I fantasize that I wanted, um, I don't know, a, a super yacht. And I'm thinking about the super yacht and the helicopter landing and having my fantasy. That's me generating something. It's not indigenous to me. I don't really want it or care for it. So that would be a fantasy. Whereas imagination is you make a prayer, you make a petition, you ask the deepest question, universe, where do you want to deploy me? What is my place in life? Right? And on the screen of the mind through a symbol, through an image, through a, a fragment of poetry, something arises. In my case, it was whole person midwifery. And it's fresh. Like you'll, what you get will be something that no one else has received. To my knowledge, no one else walks around saying they're whole person midwife. Um, it's, it's you. It's, it's, there's lots of Jonathans in the world. There may be even more Jonathan Gustins, but I don't think there's any other whole person midwives. And if there are, that's fine. Um, and so these are ways as coaches that we can ask our, um, the people we're working with to listen. You know, we can begin to practice. You can come and take, you know, trainings with me at my school, but you don't have to. You can just like go for it. Start by taking your own soul walk, just as I described it. Bring an important question and it's practicing. And it's like, there's these organs of sensitivity and perception that have gone dormant or have kind of gone to sleep because they're underused. And if we practice, they come alive. 
And then there's this creativity, this life force. And you, we see it. We see it in people sometimes. I'll watch a TED talk and I'm like, I'll be darned. That person's, I can feel it. it it's just, it's open in them. And that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's our birthright as well. Mm. Yeah, I, I've seen that in my clients and also myself, uh, this sort of, this aliveness and um, energy and um, I won't use the word passion, but it's, it's kind of this kind of poeticness and meaning that can begin to um, come online, you know, it's like we're, we're kind of accessing it more and more as we, I, I'm just thinking of one client where I just gave her the simple assignment of, um, I can't remember the question, it was like a few months ago, but to go and walk in nature, like you just suggested with that question, take a couple of hours. Oh yeah. And, and, and to make it a ritual. So, you know, have a, um, you know, a threshold and, uh, you know, then when you're in that threshold, you're, you're in a different space and, and, and there was more instructions, but uh, just remembering her coming back and how excited she was and how meaningful that experience was to her. What, what actually arose for her that began to give her clarity and, and guide her. And the same for me, and so uh, I just want to like double down on what you're saying with this, because um, in some spiritual circles, uh, there's like a, an, an emphasis a lot on uh, non-duality, uh, spirit, oneness. And yet there can be that aliveness can be lacking sometimes in those communities I've found. Maybe that's a bit of a, you know, it's a generalization. That's, that's no, a, I think there's a little something it, but, to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think this, this sense of, um, aliveness and um, that something can actually become embodied you know this is the thing it's not um, a rational experience like a, a purpose statement that then is trotted out but it's actually something we're expressing from in the moment uh, would you would you agree with that yeah I, I like that you uh, uh, disambiguated these these sort of two parts because in non-duality we get a lot of this question who am I what am I? Which is A++. Thank you, Ramana Maharshi and everybody else for it. Um, and then what sometimes happens is these non-dual uh, students or even masters will come, I mean, masters is overstating it, awakened people. And they'll come to me and they'll say, oh, I heard you on this podcast. I, there's something kind of dry because the second question has no answer for me, which is what do I do with this one wild precious life as the poet Mary Oliver put it? People are like, it doesn't matter. Like on, at some level, these, these people will say to me, I know it doesn't matter. It's all perfect. It's all good. And I kind of don't know what to do with myself. And interestingly, in those people, if they bothered to call me, they're like, I, I don't feel that's my destiny is to not know, to just be like open to, 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 to simply not know until I die. And so this question can come online. It doesn't have to, but it often does which is, what's my place? So as, as, as an enlightened Buddha, if you happen to be one, now what? So it's not just who am I, what am I, what do I do? Now, I think these two questions together are the two wings, two birds on the dove, right? One alone can be a little arid. The other, you can get totally lost and crushed by the heaviness of it all. And so my personal recommendation is um, both a hand on each rail. If you're destined to be a, a specialist and only hold on to one rail, great. I, I don't have much to say to that because it's not, it's not my path. I don't have an expertise in that way. 
But I, I think when we have a hand on each, we are giving uh, respect and dignity to the fact that on the one hand, we are completely empty of separateness, completely empty, completely empty of, I don't know what, what another word for separateness all of a sudden. And on the other hand, we're full of humanity. And humans evolve, we grow, we die, we laugh, we want to work, we want to labor, we just do. <laughs> and so that is even Ramana Maharshi after, you know, years and years of Samadhi and ants eating him and everything, eventually he allowed an ashram to start around him, right? He could have stopped it and then, you know, sort of teach and managed and so forth. So uh, out of silence can grow a great passion for doing. So it's being and becoming. Both of those. And, you know, it just kind of makes me think about, I've heard some people speak about um, awakening and, you know, not that there's some final destination, but there are certain thresholds that we cross where perhaps we, we land in a very different orientation to life. I'm talking about on the spiritual path now, the path of spirit and, and, um, and how actually it can be quite common for people to need to kind of reorient their life at that place. To, I think I'm maybe even repeating what you're saying, but to find then how do I actually find a sense of um, passionate response or service, you know, yeah. like what, what motivates me in a sense, you know? Well, exactly. If there's no you left, then whose motivation is it? And what a purpose guide says is, well, your motivation to begin with was partially egoic. And so when the ego, quote unquote, softens, dissolves and dies, at least to version 1.0 of itself, for a while, you can have this arid period where there is no real desire to do anything. But uh, hopefully that is moved through quickly because that people, people, they will call it sometimes like, you know, uh, non-dual aridity or the dryness of enlightenment. Right. Mm. But eventually, if you look at the ox herding pictures, the person comes back, comes back into the marketplace and you want to contribute to the marketplace. I mean, if you want to be a, a, a hermit your whole life, that's OK, too. But most of us don't. We want to be engaged and in relationship and of service. And so then we find service can happen without a person there. You can be a therapist and a coach without being an ego which is to say not having your center of gravity built around a personal you know, identity. It's the coaching does the work, not some ego. And I'm, when good guiding is happening, it's not Jonathan doing it. <laughs> Just Jonathan can barely you know, coach his way or purpose guide his way out of a paper bag. That's fine. But occasionally Jonathan gets out of the way and then the guide, whole person midwife does the work. Well, that's, that's lovely. That's lovely when that happens. It mm. feels so good. It reminds me of that quote from Frederick Beekner, which is find the place where your deepest gladness and the world's hunger meets. So it brings me alive. It's my like just joy to do guiding, to be, to be used by guiding. And one of the reasons for that is it appears that the people I work with, um, it is their deep gladness to receive it. 
there's the hunger for more meaning, for more purpose in their life. And so it's the two together, their deep hunger, my deep gladness. And now, ah, okay, that gives me some level of confidence that I have, that I am now beholden. I have now been occupied by my soul level purpose. Hmm. There's, there's so many questions I could ask here. Um, it would take us in slightly different directions, but I think I'm going to, I'm going to take it in this direction, which is uh, how, uh, you know, like this, this idea that as coaches, we might be able to bring this kind of work into our everyday encounters with clients. And uh, of course that, brings up a sense of like permission and uh, what we contract to do, but that certainly um, I've found with a lot of my clients that I'm not even doing explicitly explicit sole purpose work with that they can bring that, that there's certain topics they're bringing in that, you know, already have the, the, the kind of scent or the flavor of, of perhaps of soul or of, um, you know, this, this type of purpose wanting to, to come through. And so I want to, you know, maybe explore how we might begin to work with our clients, you know? And so um, what would be the question? Well, um, I guess the, I guess, I guess one thing might be to, to talk about some of the ways that you think that people might bring, um, soul, you know, this kind of like the, the, the whisper of soul into a conversation that we might not be fully seeing yet, that we can make some distinctions around that. Yeah. So I would say the first thing is as a coach is let's, and I'm sure everyone's doing this, but just to emphasize it, let's listen to the deepest driving desire because a person will come in like, so I'm a psychotherapist and, and meditation teacher and, and purpose guide. And so people come in with a lot of desires. Wonderful. But I'm like, I'm, I'm wanting to get to the like, so what's the one that's really like, you know, and sometimes they'll just mention it here and then push it away. So I'm listening for all I'm worth. And I'll repeat, I'll say, you know, the five main things I just heard, I said, but I, there's something about the way when you were talking about X, I just want to ask, is that maybe more important than you realize? Um, and so what, what we're first doing is we are panning and like, what's the quality of the question? And by quality, I mean, how much passion, how much lust, how much longing? We're looking for the questions that are drenched with the ache and longing for, I would call it wholeness, but we can call it something else. Now we have a powerful question. So this is a big part of when I train people, but it's just simple enough, right? Just to say it like this, help someone find their deepest longing. Okay, part two. Now, what do you do with that? <laughs> well, de-emphasize the mind. Don't get rid of it. Don't pathologize it. The, the human mind is an amazing thing, but generally our clients come to a coach when they've come to the end of their thinking mind's capacity to parse and reason out an answer. Great. They've come, they've failed. When I go see a therapist or a guide or da, 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 it's because I'm stuck. <laughs> I, I, hey, help me. Good. So we recognize that with great respect. Like, I think you've kind of come to the end of that way. And then, then you can either overtly or, or softly covertly introduce alternate ways of knowing. 
and you can say, I have this strange thing I want to suggest and totally okay if you're not into it. Um, I want you to take a soul walk in nature and you'll very quickly, you'll get the, you, you'll get from the person, be brave. The, the worst they can say is, well, that's not coaching. No. And then step back. It's not for us to force anything, but why would you, uh, if you have a medicine, a magic medicine on your shelf and it's inexhaustible, <laughs> um, why wouldn't you at least make a gentle offer? So I, I encourage uh, your coaches at your school to be courageous in offering their very, very best. Not the $20 whiskey, but the, the Macallan 30 that's like a thousand, like pour them the best dram you have. And if they don't drink it, if they don't like it or don't want it, they go, I don't drink whiskey. And like, okay, <laughs> great. I'll give it to somebody else. So let's say they go, well, say a little more. And then, you know, I said it earlier um, is say, Here, here's your homework. Should you choose to accept it? Take this question, go out into wild nature, take mm, 30 minutes to really feel the depth of your longing. It'll be maybe a little uncomfortable, but it may also be just like a homecoming to really be present with the ache in your heart for whatever the problem or issue X is. And then like a prayer, you are asking life, wisdom, gut, intuition for support. I call it soul. And then listen, then listen. Listen with your entire being. A butterfly may come by. Um, a wind may graze your face. A just knowing may pop in your mind. You may get a feeling in your gut. This is, this is really what a, um, what like a vision quest is, right? In essence is there's this word for vision quest. It was the original word, um, humblekja, humblekja. And what it means is the lament. And it means you go out into wild nature, right? You can do this on your couch too, but I recommend wild nature. Um, and you, you let your cry for wholeness, for life, like bring you to tears. When I tried to find my first sit spot, the place where I was going to do four days of fasting and prayer for my first vision quest, I didn't, the, the quest proper hadn't even started. I was just looking for the sit place. I, I ended up just sobbing because I was like young and strong and a really good hiker. And I was like, going through every canyon, looking for the perfect place. And eventually I wore myself out and I was like, I can't even find a sit spot. How am I going to do a quest? And I was just sobbing. And then I found that was my spot. I came to the edge of my like willful way and I collapsed in my longing. And I had this amazing mystical experience and revelation. So, you know, you don't have to go on a full four day vision quest. Um, you can just go out for an hour and one, really be present to your longing, to that ache, like, like 30 full minutes. You're just feeling it, feeling it. Make that prayer. Ask for help. This is important. Ask for help. You're like, well, I don't believe in God. Fine. Ask, ask subatomic physics for help. I, I, Name it what you want. Ask, ask atheism for help. It just ask. 
it puts you in a, an interesting posture. It completes a circuit when you allow your greatest ache inside to reach out and ask for something. Ultimately, well, it's, I'll, I'll talk about that later maybe. So you ask for help and then you listen. So longing, asking, listening. This is something very simple. I would suggest that a, a coach practice this first, do this once at least on your own, and then bring it, bring it to the thorniest, most difficult question. Someone's like, should I divorce my husband? Well, I don't know. What do you think? And they go, oh, I have all these pros and cons. How about this? Why don't you bring that question out on the land? Someone comes and says, I don't know what to do about my business. Oh, why don't you bring that question out onto the land? I don't know if I should get this treatment for cancer or not. Oh, why don't you bring it out onto the land? It's, you know, what's the worst that happens is you waste an hour of your time. And you might find that when you settle down, it's almost as if we're like a head of soul, like humans, we, we brrr, and maybe soul moves slower. And so it's like stopping. It's not like, I, I think of the work I do as a purpose guide, not helping people stalk soul, like find the footprints and then find it. It's like getting still enough so that soul can find us. Right, right. And I, just to um, take that, I think that idea of receptivity i think is very useful here because um i do see that with people when it comes around to this idea of purpose and particularly if it's like you know they are wanting to know like why am i here and they can get kind of like mm, you know pretty de like uh, like what what is it is this right how do i know this is it you know and so um i, I think it's a it's a it's a kind of maybe it's like a what side effect of doing this work, but this, you know, there's something very beneficial about learning to be receptive, practicing receptivity, because I don't think we're very skilled in, in that, particularly in the West, you know, where we train to go out and make things happen and seize a hold of life, you know, in, in a sense, we're asking the opposite here. So I really, I really appreciate that, that nod to that, that, that pointing to receptivity, because I think that's a powerful coaching skill anyway and, and and just great that you said like yeah coaches need to have done this first because that that we could do a whole podcast about that but you know ideally we're we've kind of rooted in our own kind of sense of soul and um that there's something transmissive about that um but I, but i like this idea of longing too because it's it's something you know what an amazing what it, what if you just had one coaching session where you really slow down and you you just facilitated someone to drop into their heart's deepest longing. I, I will, I've Incredible. had, I've had sessions where someone's longing is so powerful, but they never stop. <laughs> I just remember that I should have, it was just like my, one of my big failures, this person came on in and they were just like a fire hose and I kept trying to interrupt, but they're like, let me know, let me finish, let me finish. And the session was eaten up. They never came back because I never really gave them anything. And it, I, I need, that was a moment where I needed to, offer a little more therapeutic press and go, I, I, I need to speak. <laughs> Normally I listen a lot. Um, as it's not just speaking your passion, it's then stopping, feeling the consequence of your blast of passion, then making that prayer and then listening. In this particular case, in this one session that never returned into session two, um, 
is uh, we got only to the first step. And I, by the end, it was apparent to me, she wanted all of it to occur in one session. And I needed to be more, of more assistance um, in, the, in the session to, to make sure that that it was at least had a, you know, a chance of happening. Silence is so important. And I think this is just conjecture since I wasn't alive a thousand years ago. I think the pace of life, we've become adjusted to quick, quick, quick. I scroll, 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 look at the news on my phone. Um, I never have to be bored ever. There's University of YouTube. Um, and so I think soul has a difficult time catching up. And so stopping is one of the great invitations a coach can do. So how often do you stop a day and for how long? What do you mean? Well, like you just sit on your couch doing what? Nothing. Well, never. <laughs> okay. Well, here's your homework. Once a day till we meet again, I'd like you to take 10 minutes. I'm not even asking you to meditate or contemplate or pray unless it happens spontaneously is just sit on your couch. Just sit to see what happens. I ran this experiment before I started offering this. I wondered if I made no decision um, to get up, what would happen? And I was scared because, I mean, this sounds silly, but I was like, well, if I don't decide to get up off the couch, will I just die there? Um, and I realized I, I would quit the, the, the experiment. So I sat down on the couch, this is many years ago, this experiment, and it was lovely. I was just like, I didn't know what was gonna happen because this is not the way I normally run my life. And um, I wasn't meditating, it was, just, it was just so pleasing and I don't even know how much time went by. And all of a sudden, it, it was the best getting up I've ever done because I, there was no intention, I wasn't going anywhere, there was no anything, it felt as if a beautiful giant padded hand just took my body and placed me on my feet. That's not, I don't have ecstatic getting ups. I just get up like, you know, everybody does. There's a kind of weight. It was lovely. And I was like, oh, life is so trustable. I have to, I don't have to micromanage quite so much. So it's just a, it's just a moment of re, another moment for me of realizing that Trusting life just keeps going deeper and deeper. And the way to demonstrate that is through actually making yourself available to that trust, which is to stop, rest, listen. Yeah, I think the Quakers keep coming to my mind as well with, you know, that practice of only speaking when moved to speak and only moving when moved to move, you know, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a lost art in these times. Um, and I, I want to ask you about myth and image here as well, and, and the mythopoetic, uh, because I think these are other ways in which clients might come to us with, um, you know, kind of information, which we could, I would say, mind but that's not the right uh, that's not the right metaphor in this case but you know that could be very kind of psycho spiritual uh, psychoactive so um could you say something about the kinds of images 
you know, how, how image might show up. And, and I could just share a very quick story of mine. Like I was talking with um, a friend who, you know, Holly Woods, who trained with you. And she just, um, I was talking about how I used to play with my Star Wars figures when I was growing up. And, um, and then she, it was interesting. She pointed out, she was like, well, what were you, how were you playing with them? And I just reflected, like, I, for me, it was all about um, setting the scene, yeah? Like, I wasn't, like, you know, like, running. I was, I'd, like, set up this scene, and there was a sense of something wanting to emerge out of the scene. And she was like, well, it's kind of like you're creating a container. And I was like, boom, that, that's it. That was it. And, I, and something dropped for me a bit, like, when you heard the, uh, the midwife. It, I was like, that's actually that's actually at the core of a lot of what has moved me through my life. When I was an artist, it was the same thing. I would, I would set the container for something to emerge when I was a DJ in nightclubs, you know, I was, uh, so um, I wanted to share my story there of, of an image of this container, which has a very embodied feel to it. You know, it's not an idea. It's something very embodied, but um, how uh, might our clients come with, you know, images, what, what do we mean by that? And, and how does that connect to our own myth in a sense? Yeah. yeah. I, I so love that you shared that, um, that story, that, that creating setting containers is key to your soul work. And I think some, some of the reason why your organization is so successful and people are so touched is that's your, that's one of your soul core powers and it's a joy not every minute, I'm sure. <laughs> it's, but but there are, you're just like, this is it. Like, even if you want a billion dollars, you know, there's part of you that would go, I, I'd still, I want to set containers. It's And we see this with, you know, the Elon Musks or whatever. They have enough money, I mean, in my opinion. And then, but there's this drive for what? There's something in them. So yeah, this mythic idea, I love it. Um, well, mythopoetic, I think the coin, the term, um, it was uh, Robert Bly who really kind of brought it to prominence, but but it, it actually came from um, Tolkien, right? And, you know, Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. And you can feel it in his characters, right? And you can feel it in Greek mythology too. Hillman will point out this, you know, ad nauseum, but mythopoetic. And so it's it's like our identity, our through line, our story, who we are, that's more real than anything else that has a kind of mythic quality and it's imagistic, it's poetic. The, the um, soul guide, um, Bill Plotkin, oh, Bill Plotkin, yeah. love his work, unsurpassed writing. Um, he coined the term mythopoetic identity, right? So yeah, Jonathan fits me okay, but whole person midwife is like a, a bespoke suit. That's, that's me. It just is. And I don't tell people, you know, at a cocktail party, I don't put it on my business card. It's kind of personal. Um, on this podcast, it's okay because you're interviewing me for my, my soul's work. And so are we open to the potential that there is an image at the center of our being has always been there. It has been whispering to us, but we've been going, chat, 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 chat. <laughs> so it's a little hard to hear. Um, and were we quiet enough, we could hear it. I was at a monastery once in the, up in the mountains of um, Colorado. 
and they were teaching me meditation. They said, you have to be more still and stop thinking. And they gave me this great idea. They said, hold this bird seed until such time as birds will feed out of your hand. And I thought, oh my God, this is, I'm, my arm's going to fall off. Anyway, at first I, I wasn't doing very well. They're like, you're thinking. And I'm like, well, sorry, <laughs> I'm not a master, <laughs> you know? And eventually it happened. I just, there was, I was just life holding out bird seed. Who needs to think? And the birds came and they fed out of my hand. So this was a, a step in the, the meditation. Well, it's like listening for your mythopoetic identity. You, you can't think your way to it. So using um, Bill Plotkin, he's like you, uh, creating containers. He calls it cocoon weaver, right? Something in wild nature spoke to him on a vision quest and said his name, cocoon weaver. And he's like, that's so much more true than Bill. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the word Bill, but, and he, what does he do? He does it beautifully. He weaves cocoons of transformation day and night, whether he's doing a podcast or a thing or a book, that's, that's what he's meant to do. It's his joy. He's very, very good at it. So this is, you know, we want to find the thing that we're really good at. You know, I, we, I like watching prodigies on, uh, uh, on YouTube and I watch this 13 year old girl, Angelina Jordan. And I just like, wow, I, you know, I would just love to be able to do something as well as she does that. And you can feel that. Like, that's beautiful. And I won't be on as big a stage. I mean, she's some sort of genius, right? And it's not about being world famous, but can, can you find that thing that you're just, it just, it's your just deep, deep gladness to do it because it's, it's indigenous to you. So mythopoetic, it's your soul story that's deeper than the story of your gender, your race, the time and place you live, all, none of which is irrelevant. I'm not decontextualizing your mythopoetic identity from the latitude and longitude of your regular life. They're absolutely intertwined. That said, there is something that transcends your skin color, your gender, your age, your economic status, your, and so forth. And that's something that uh, society, unless you're very lucky, doesn't really attend to. My parents didn't say, Jonathan, what are you called to? I made my poor son, he's 12. I said, if, if I die early, I want you to just learn one thing. I said, repeat this sentence. Find the place where your deepest gladness and the world's hunger meets. And because um, he finds, you know, all this stuff kind of boring. And so I don't, I don't bore him with it. And um, how, how might you invite coaches to help their clients to kind of uncover this mythopoetic identity? And I, I know maybe the, in one way, the answer might be that similar things like going out into nature or connecting to our longing. But I'm wondering if there are other mm -hmm. kind of guides, because, you know, I, th yeah. I remember I, um, you know, through your training, um, connecting to certain even characters in movies that just grabbed a hold of me and, and and then like articulating a story you know that of my of my life in a sense a poetic story and um so so yeah how might yeah yeah we, we do that yeah so yeah lo love to offer uh, the coaches some ideas number one soul and, and this is not 
the best, just simply in, in, no, in no particular order. Number one, soul-centric dream work. And it's not the kind of dream work where the mind interprets what comes from the dream images. Rather, we dream, we practice the art of remembering the dream, which is a whole subject, but basically writing quickly down before it goes through your fingers like slish. And then living with the dream, let the dream do its tidal work on you. Become available to the dream. James Hillman wrote a book, The Dream and the Underworld. It's a hard book to read, but I recommend it. Soul-centric dream work. Even so, easier, please. And, and how, you know, just probing a bit further, like, you know, how does the, how can we have that dream work? Are you, are you thinking then we write it down and then mm -hmm. we might kind of like re- uh, bring up that image of the dream, you know, and, and, and just kind of be receptive to that image of the dream. Yeah. The other day, someone told me a dream where, um, it was, it was grotesque. That's what she said. The heads on humans and the heads on several kind of wolf dog coyotes were switched. So it was severed heads. It was very scary to her. And so we could talk about it if we wanted to, like therapy, we could interpret it. No. So rather, there's this invitation in the day world is to invite these characters to come forward. So I say to her, well, would you be willing to go on a walk as um, coyote head human body and move as that energy? See what it has to offer you and teach you. Maybe it's horrible and evil. Maybe it isn't. Who knows? Now do the other way, be the human with the animal body. Don't think, <laughs> I mean, think if you want, but that's not the main point, is allow the dream to keep unfolding. It's not like the dream is fixed in the dream world. And then in the night, in the day world, we just look at it. It continues. Sometimes if there'd been time in that session, I would have asked, may I speak to head of wolf human body? May I dialogue? And then I'd say, we'll call her Jane Doe. So is there something you want to tell Jane Doe? We're asking the image to do the communicating as opposed to us opening one of those books, which I do not recommend interpreting dreams. I think those are not so helpful. Mm, beautiful. That's really helpful. Um, uh, and then you were about, I interrupted you. You were about to name uh, maybe another way we could... Um, yeah. yeah, there's something called active imagination, uh, sometimes called Jungian journaling. Um, so Jung did this, he's offered it to us. Um, so you can sit, I do it, you know, not even pen and paper, right on my computer, and I'll want to have a conversation with soul. And so I'll, I'll put in, you know, JG, Jonathan Gustin, colon, soul, may I speak to you? And I write the word soul, colon, and then it's existential terror, because I, I don't, I feel... My ego gets involved. Like, well, what if soul doesn't want to talk to me? I still feel, you know, like rejection of phobia. What can I say? And I just sit there. And if something legitimately comes and arises, great. If it doesn't, then I get that, you know, just because you call a friend for dinner doesn't mean they're going to say yes. If soul says yes, it'll, it'll say so. Yes. And then the questions. And I'm asking soul, I'm dialoguing with soul. This is very powerful, but the, I would say the biggest difficulty is, is that when you finish it and you look at it, you can think to yourself, well, this is probably fake. This is probably just my mind making it up. 
And I have protocols for helping a person discern the difference between your mind just filled in the blanks versus it being soul. Um, so that's another one. Um, you can use the golden shadow method. Who are the people for whom you truly respect, like enduringly, day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, um, they're a golden shadow. They weren't perfect. So for me, when I saw the movie Gandhi, it came out when I was 16, I was gobsmacked, in love. I mean, just deeply in love. My parents brought me and they said, they knew kind of guy I was. And they said, well, you're going to really like this. And I'd heard of Gandhi, but I was like, oh, all right. And I was just, I couldn't believe it. And it took me a while because I was young. I, I misunderstood golden shadows. I was like, I want to be like Gandhi. Well, that job was already taken. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the kind of guy to go to jail and fast forever. And he, he had a kind of courage, which was rare and beautiful. Um, he had his destiny. But um, there are so many qualities in that man that are in me. And that's one of the reasons why I'm in love so much is he reflects some of those qualities that are latent in me. One of my teachers, Ajashanti, I would say, you know, oh, you have this, this, this. And he would look at me and he'd go, Jonathan. And he pointed himself and he pointed me and he'd go, same. And part of my head went, no, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. You're enlightened. I'm not. No. And then a the little part of me is like, what if this guy knows what he's talking about? So who are the golden shadow figures for you? Is it the Dalai Lama? Is it Jesus? Jesus is amazing. Yes, there's Christ consciousness. But if, if Christ consciousness is Christ consciousness, it exists in you too. It wasn't just some you know, Jewish Palestinian guy 2000 years ago. It's inside of you. So those would be a couple. I mean, I can offer more, but mm -hmm. um, soul-centric dream work is very powerful, Jungian journaling, and um, locate your golden shadow and work with it. Yeah, yeah that's really great. I'm, I'm, I actually just, I think art is a great medium for, uh, you know, I, there's some movies that I watch that I just, um, they just break me open, you know, and I'm like obsessing about it the next day. And I, I rewatch certain scenes in it and, that those are, you know, those those are really potent symbolic symbols of soul for me, you know, that are really worth spending time with. So, um, you know, it's it's there. Like I just want to say to people, it's there. It's happening. You'll you'll be watching these movies, and there'll be a character in the movie that just, you know, you some for some reason you can't quite clarify. It just grips you and, and spend some time with that character, and uh, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm just seeing the time and, um, you know, as always, I, I feel like this work, um, you could do a whole podcast on each each uh, one of the kind of facets of this work we've spoken about. But um, I do want to make sure that people can uh, discover your work more, Jonathan. Where can we find out more about what you're up to? Oh, I'd love to share well, one more thing on Golden Shadow, because I just yeah recalled in, in the background here, uh, if you're if you're watching this as opposed to listening, but I'll describe it. it. On the video, you'd be able to see that I have an altar. I call it a purpose altar. And it has all these pictures of, you guessed it, golden shadow figures for me. They're mine. 
maybe they're for you. So we have some Sufis who, who told me about Alam al-Nithal, the imaginal matrix. And I was like, there's an imaginal matrix? That's amazing. These are really big, you know, Ibn Arabi, you know, amazing mystics. Who else do we have? We have Thoreau, Jung, Hillman. Um, they're not perfect. <laughs> I've read about Hillman and Jung. It's not, it's not about perfection uh, and uh, at all. Um, apparently, Jung wasn't the best husband or father. But he, he's a genius at some things. And I aspire and would like when I grow up to have some more of what Jung had. I really passionately care. It's not just like, oh, I'd love to be able to play basketball like LeBron James. Nah, I don't really care. But, but, but what Jung has. Uh, and so you can put a picture up of your golden shadow of Christ, of the Dalai Lama, but not as a way to worship them and put, keep them like on an altar, like something above you that you come more and more in relationship, you discover there is a true twin twinship. Heinz Kohut, you know, talked about twinship. And this is what will happen with a coach uh, and a coachee is more and more that if, they're, if they stay with you, it's because they see something in you that they, they may wish to grow into until they realize you're just reflecting. And that's a great, great capacity the coach has is the playing field gets more and more and more even. And you're basically just co-explorers of their truth together, um, which is really lovely. So anyway, I just wanted to say you can, you can make an altar. That's a fourth way. Pick some golden shadow figures and live with them. Let them bless you and pull you from acorn to oak tree, um, like an atelaki. Uh, so my work, um, if people are interested, um, my school is called Purpose Guides Institute. Uh, you can look it up online. And um, we have every September, we start a 12-week program called Discovering Your Purpose Program. And I organize it in 12 baskets. Um, and it's a reverse classroom. People do the practices. And then we come as a large group together. Um, and it's, it's a way of giving some structure um, to the journey. The journey, to be honest, can be quite arduous. It is a descent to soul. And involved in that is a dissolution, even a dying to what I might call version 1.0. It's not like the caterpillar just grows wings and then comes back and is a caterpillar. Um, there is a kind of uh, upgrade in which the old way of living um, is composted and something fresh and generative can grow. And because it is, because dying <laughs> psycho-spiritually or otherwise is, a, is, can be a difficult process. It's really important to have a community, a Sangha um, to support you through that, um, to admire and celebrate with you when things are going well and to hold your hand when, when resistance and difficulties come. And then after that semester, September to December, we always have a training for people who want to acquire the skill set of a purpose guide. And that goes from January to June. And uh, for some coaches, that may be a specialty or uh, a couple of tools extra in their kit um, that will help you with a set of clients that you may find very delicious 
um, to work with. If you're, if you're, if you're into that deep sea, deep sea diving type of coaching and not everybody is, nor should they. Um, but if you are, um, come to the site and see if it's for you. Yeah. I can heartily recommend both of those and, uh, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, hope people come and check out your work. So thanks, Jonathan. I really appreciate our time together actually. Yeah, I always enjoy speaking with you. It's really fun. So I want to just take a minute to tell you about Inside Coaching, which we are relaunching. And it's, well, imagine pulling up a chair inside the coaching room of a world-class coach and then being able to watch them work with a real client. That's what this program's all about. It's always been one of the most popular parts of our live trainings, these coaching demos. And so we decided to create a full training on it. So Inside Coaching is a, it's a 12-week self-study program. And you'll get to see all these different master coaches coaching people. How do they do it? What kind of questions do they ask? What kind of moves are they making? It's like you're apprenticing with these master coaches. And the cool thing is, is afterwards, after each coaching session, I do a debrief with them where I break down everything they did. What were they seeing? Uh, why were they asking certain questions so that you can really get inside their mind and absorb all that wisdom and experience that they've spent years cultivating uh, nothing scripted all the clients come with real issues so just a few more things what do you get by joining you get 12 unedited coaching sessions 12 debrief sessions workbooks transcripts bonus videos a member forum and a discussion thread some of the coaches featured are Amanda Blake, Richard Strozzi Heckler, Thomas Hubel, Jennifer Garvey Berger, David Drake, Rick Hansen, Wendy Palmer, Jim Dethmer, and others. So registration is open from the 8th of June 2021 and it closes on the 17th of June. And if you want to find out more, you can head to coachesrising.com forward slash inside coaching trailer. You'll find a really cool trailer we made about the program there and you can just put your name in the sign-up box to stay in the loop. 